My name is Keith Kovacs. I'm the scripture reader today, and our passage today will take us up to and include the ninth commandment. Um, we only have one more to go. Today's is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we will read from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Uh, so I'm going to start giving this introduction, and Jonathan's going to start making his way up as I, as I stall and uh, give him time to get, <laughs> get up here. Um, so I just uh, have the pleasure of introducing the Reverend Dr. Jonathan R. Wilson, uh, and after 28 years as a tenured theology professor at Westmount College, Acadia Divinity College, and Cary Theological College, where I met Jonathan when I was studying at Vancouver School of Theology, Jonathan is now, and I'm assuming that this, all these biographic details are still true, is now senior consultant for theological integration with the Canadian Baptist Ministries, with Canadian Baptist Ministries, and teaching fellow at Regent College, and in his role with Canadian Baptist Ministries, uh, Jonathan participates in theological education and leadership development on five continents. My guess is that that's been reduced over the last uh, one and a half plus years. Um, he's ordained by the Canadian West Baptists of Western Canada and the author or editor of more than 15 books. It might even be more than that now. And his most recent book is uh, God's world reclaiming the doctrine of creation i have my signed copy you know go online to your local an independent books bookstore and order your own copy um and uh he is married to suwan park and they now reside in nanaimo so everybody please welcome 
the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Wilson. You know, we were two-thirds of the way through the pandemic before I learned to take my mask off from the front so it wouldn't hook on my hearing aids and make me look silly. Uh, but I've mastered that now. Uh, my goodness, I feel very much at home, Suhan and I do here. Grateful for your welcome and for the worship that's already taken place. It makes me think of the, the first rule for medical practice, first, do no harm. So I hope first to do no harm uh, in my sermon uh, today. I'm also uh, very grateful for Ryan and for the friendship that we've had. It's been sporadic, but now that I'm on the island, I hope that it will pick up once again. He really made me feel at home in some of the first things that he said to you. I grew up in the American South, and I heard him say, y'all. <laughs> and I thought, where am I? Yeah, that's, I thought, where am I? And so there you have it. Ryan and I talked quite a bit, uh, a few times, uh, when he was beginning this series, first because he invited me to speak during the series, and also just, because, just about our understanding of the, the Ten Commandments. And I'm grateful now for the opportunity to be here with you. I think that what I say will be uh, compatible and may say in a little bit different way some of the things that Ryan has been saying to you. I hope you'll think of the Ten Commandments at 10 words that describe our life with God. You shall not. God is kind of making a declaration over us. I am the Lord your God. Therefore, because you are my people, you shall not do these things. And that's the call for us. That's the joyful calling to live in right alignment with God, with other humans, with the rest of creation, non-human creation, and even with self. And that's what these commandments really describe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word gave life. All things that exist were spoken into existence. And once the creation had been, the first act of creation had been completed and human beings were made from the dust of the earth and we were placed in the creation, God blessed us as he had blessed creation earlier. The word of blessing comes upon us in the beginning and that word has never been retracted. The word gives life. But not too long after the word gave life, words were used to give death. The serpent bore false witness against his neighbor, the one who created the serpent. And the woman bore false witness against her neighbor, the one who walked in the cool of the afternoon with her and her mate. And she bore false witness. And in bearing false witness, the relationship with God was broken. Not only that, the relationship between humans was broken because the man bore false witness 
Just a few verses later in chapter 3 of Genesis, the woman whom you gave me. He's bearing false witness by shifting the blame. And then the man exercises control over the woman by naming her Eve. Now, in chapter 2, the earth creature, Adam, that's from the earth, uh, Adam uh, names, Adama names, uh, his, uh, says of the woman who's created from his side, she shall be called. That's not a naming of exercising control. In fact, when the man sees the woman that God has created, again, his words give life. He says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's a Hebrew construction conveying excellence. You know how we use words, good, gooder, goodest? Uh, no, that's not right. Uh, uh, wealthy, wealthier, wealthiest. We put ER and EST on the end of a lot of words in order to, cre in order to convey excellence. In Hebrew, there's a construction that they use, and it's like king of kings and lord of lords. So when the man wakes up and sees the woman, he gives life. He blesses her and says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, God, this is the very best thing you could have made from bones and flesh. And then the next minute, the next chapter, he is speaking falsely and the relationship is broken. And the next several chapters of Genesis are a description of how that first use of words continues to break relationships. Remember the boast of Lamech? I will wreak vengeance 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times on anyone who assaults me. Words used to break relationships. It, of course, reaches its climax with the attempt to build the Tower of Babel, the attempt to use language to supplant God. We all speak one language. We can cooperate in our sinfulness and in our brokenness, and we can become our own gods. Whether the Tower of Babel is a real thing or a symbolic thing, it's the attempt of human beings to be our own gods and displace God's spoken blessing over us. But then, chapter 11 of Genesis is followed by chapter 12, in which God speaks another blessing. In the midst of the false witness that has been carried on through all of those early chapters, in the midst of the broken relationships with God, with other humans, with non-human creation, and even with self, God now speaks a blessing over Abram. And God is really renewing to Abram the blessing that God had pronounced on the first humans in Genesis 1. He promises Abraham, eventually he is named, land and descendants. And the promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the truth. 
This is the means by which God is realigning a world that is in false relationships to truth. And eventually, God calls into being a people who are to be the people of truth, the people whose lives are lined up with God's intentions for all creation from the very beginning. And those 10 words in Exodus 20 and then again in Genesis with, I mean in Deuteronomy with some slight variation, those 10 words are a description of life rightly aligned with God. Most of them are, are pretty clear to us how they're being rightly aligned. You know, the Sabbath commandment is the original creation care commandment to allow creation to rest. Can you imagine what would happen in our current mess and the climate disaster that we seem speeding toward and unable to slow us, ourselves down? Imagine if the entire world took one day off a week and we didn't turn off the lights and we didn't travel anywhere for shopping. We came to church and gathered before the Creator to renew our covenant with the Creator. Can you imagine? what would happen? All things being rightly aligned, and now the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. I've already been using that language to help you understand that this image, this language of false witness is not just one little narrow thing. Yes, in Exodus, it seems to be about the law courts, or the judgment at the gate, as Israel would practice it. And then in, uh, later on, in Deuteronomy 19, you actually get a further expansion of this notion of false witness and true witness. Now, at this point in their journey, the people of God had really been enslaved and under someone else's rule. Now they are beginning to be formed as a people. What is one of the things that will cause them to fall apart, to break apart as a people? Bearing false witness against one another. False witness breaks relationships. But it's also a sign that the self is broken, that our hearts are broken, that we are divided against ourselves, that we are not whole, that we need that inner healing so that we can become truthful people. I've known one or two people in my life for whom the truth just seemed to be habituated in them. Do you know what I mean? Imagine an Olympic athlete, a superior athlete, or let's use a Canadian example. Imagine Wayne Gretzky. Is that okay in BC? Yeah. To, uh, one of the Sedines. Let's, let's, let's make it more culturally appropriate. Imagine one of the Sedines who's on the ice and skating toward the opponent's goal. 
and recognizing who the defenseman is against him and knowing that that defenseman cheats to the left when he's guarding because he wants to pinch in toward the goal. And so Sedin Hanks thinks through that and he remembers who that defenseman is. And so he says, he thinks to himself, okay, I've got to move over this way. I'm going to actually fake toward the goal and get that defenseman to shake shift even further to his left, and then I'm going to move right very quickly, and I know my brother is coming down with the puck, and he's going to uh, pass it to me, and I know his passes are always on the ice, so I keep my stick on the ice when he passes it to me, and I know he'll pass it to me so that I can catch it, so I can make a right-handed shot to the goal, and I know that goalie is the one who tries to cheat towards the person who's carrying the puck, and then moves at the last minute if he has to, and so I need to immediately release the puck, not shift and, and, and fake one way or another, but get it in the goal right away. <laughs> the puck's already down at the other end of the rink by the time he thinks through all of that. A superior athlete does not think through all of that. They are so habituated, so trained, so well-disciplined that it just happens in a moment. May we be people of truth who don't have to stop and think. Shall I tell the truth here or not? Do a cost-benefit analysis <laughs> of doing the truth or saying the truth or not saying the truth. Can we become people who are so habituated in the truth that we simply are truthful people? I've known a couple of women, actually, in my life who have come very close to being just Olympic gold medalist when it comes to speaking the truth. And it's mostly because of their own histories and the fact that there were so many lies covering up so much in their earlier lives. And they just refused to live falsely because they had seen the damage that was done. And so they spoke the truth. Truth may hurt initially, but if you don't uncover the damage, if you don't clean out the wound, if you don't fill in the hole in the board in another person's life, then it just festers, it rots, and then it starts to infect others. How do we become people of the truth? You know the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't it beautiful how it all comes together in Jesus Christ? He stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate was a politician. His vocation was lying. Uh, that's an equal opportunity offense uh, that I've said there. What is truth? He didn't want to know the truth. He lived his life saying, no one can know the truth, therefore I live this way. And what does Jesus say in response? Nothing. Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus stands there, silent. He is the truth. 
and Pilate doesn't know the truth standing in front of him because his heart is so broken and divided. Jesus comes to us as the truth of all things. All things are made through him or by him and for him. He is the place where all things come into alignment. And for us to be people of the truth, we have to come to know Jesus Christ as the one who is the truth, whose way of life is the truth, whose truth leads to life just as the first word did. In the beginning, the word gave life when God spoke all things into existence. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. That life was the light of the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he is full of grace and truth. Sometimes we think we're speaking the truth, but we're lacking the grace of truth. Sometimes we think we're speaking the truth because we really want to wound, not heal. Sometimes we speak what we think is the truth out of our own brokenness, wanting to break someone else. Grace and truth together. That's the way toward the healing of relationships. That's the way toward becoming people of the truth. But let's make it practical. Let's ground it in the questions that the kids ask. Wasn't that wonderful? You know, I, I pastored a, a church in, uh, in Burnham, a Baptist church, uh, for six years. By the way, I'm married to a Presbyterian, so does that make it okay for me to, to be here? I, I pastored a Baptist church in Burnaby for six years, and I was the solo act. I led worship, I prayed most of the prayers, I told the children's story, I sang in the choir, and I preached the sermon and pronounced the benediction, and then I cleaned up the church afterwards. I got a little tired of that, and I decided one Sunday, I'll drop the children's story. Hmm, yeah, right. I could have dropped almost anything else and gotten away with it. I was greeting people at the door, and the senior deacon said, uh, Pastor, this was a good service today, but I hope there will be a children's story next Sunday. I think children's stories connect with us sometimes better than the main sermon does because Jesus tells us to become like children. But they're, always, they're already thinking about this, aren't they? What is truth? How do I tell the truth? Let me give you an understanding of truth that guides us when we're by someone's by, uh, bedside at the hospital when someone asks, how do I look? Uh, when someone asks, or you're trying to conceal a surprise birthday party. By the way, my daughter and her family were up here from the U.S. in August, first time that it was open for her children, who are, two of her children are 11 and 7, and they didn't have to quarantine when they came after that. And they arrived on my 70th birthday, and then we saw, but they didn't get back, we didn't get back to Nanaimo until 11 p.m., so the next morning, 
uh, we had a birthday brunch, and I got a couple of little things, a, a homemade card, and Suwan had already, I had already bought my birthday wish, a pair of binoculars, and then they gave me 10 Trader Joe's chocolate bars that uh, my son-in-law's parents had sent for me. And then my daughter said, Dad, you've got one other present coming. Uh, at, uh, at noon today, a few of your friends are going to be on Zoom uh, to wish you happy birthday. Well, I opened up the Zoom just a little bit after noon, and there were more than 50 people on the screen stretching all the way back to my roommate, my second semester at Regent in 1976, through my graduate days and my various pastorates, uh, six continents represented. Uh, was Leah lying to me? Was she speaking falsely when she said a few of your friends? I'm not sure 50, actually there were two people on some of the screens, probably 75 people, does that count as a few? Your friends, only if I have, only if Facebook is really right and I have 4,000 friends. That's the only way that would be a few of my friends. Here's what it means to speak truthfully. Speak such that your words are intended to be in line with the kingdom of God. Speak so that your words are intended to be in line with the kingdom of God. Which tells us we've got to learn what the kingdom of God is, which means learning what Jesus taught us and how he taught us to live. But here's the classic example, of course. You're, uh, you're a, a Dutch person during World War II, and you're hiding some Jewish people in your attic, and the Nazis come to the door and knock and say, are there any Jewish people in your house? Some ethical systems would say, you're supposed to say yes, because that's what you do. You always speak the truth. And others say, no, you should lie, because the consequences of your speaking the truth would be awful. That's a false dichotomy. True speech is truth intended to line up with the purpose of the kingdom of God. So when you tell the Nazis that there are no Jews in your house, you are not lying. Your speech is lined up with God's intentions for all creation. And even in trivial matters, at times, we can speak words that are intended to line up with the kingdom that may, by some ethical standards, not be what is strictly true. But that means we have to be well-formed people to know and understand life in the kingdom, to desire in our hearts to follow Jesus, Sometimes, I, I grew up in the South, and I recognized pretty early on that I was nice. That's, pretty, that's a pretty basic conviction in the Southern U.S. God is nice, and you should be too. Really powerful gospel message, isn't it? But I also learned pretty early on that I wasn't good. 
And there's a world of difference between being nice and being good. Sometimes we lie because we want to be nice. That's not speech lined up with the kingdom. Sometimes we lie because we are so vulnerable and afraid ourselves. If I speak the truth, I may lose this relationship. And I don't want to lose this relationship. If you lie, do you really have a relationship? We need to be people who trust God's grace and God's power of forgiveness. You know, the opposite of bearing false witness, the most basic opposite, is language that praises God. Right here, what we've done today is where we learn to be people of truth, where we learn how to use our language properly, where we learn that our words are meant, first of all, to praise God, to realign us with God. And secondly, to realign us with one another. Praying the prayer, confessing our sins and praying the prayer of forgiveness. And when you receive communion or Eucharist, you are declaring a truth. You are a sinner, just like everyone else. And you are in need of God's forgiveness. We learn something about the truth. We speak truly about our relationship to creation when we give our tithes and offerings. We speak truthfully about our relationship to self. Once again, when we learn that we are a people who are forgiven, who are loved, whose praise God welcomes. Our hearts are healed the beginning of the healing of our hearts starts with what we do here and what we then carry throughout the week in our relationships. Let us pray together. Holy God, you who are three and one, you who are truth and light and life. We thank you that you have been in our midst, that we have been in your presence. And we pray that as we continue in your presence this day and throughout this week, that our hearts will continue to be healed, that our desire will be for life, and that we will know that truthfulness is life. May we then be people whose lives light up the world and draw others to you. We ask in the name of Jesus, the gentle and powerful name of Jesus, amen.
hymn of the day, open my eyes that I may see. Oh. 